Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face, if not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. It is really hard to get acclimated to chaos. I heard teachers last year say, September is always chaos. But by October, order usually emerges out of the chaos. But last year, it was 10 months of September. (laughs) And pray God that it's not that same way this year. And we keep thinking that this social division that keeps grinding away and creating upheaval, it's going to burn itself out. And it keeps not burning itself out. And we thought this fall the virus would settle down and we could start stitching together some order out of chaos. And now we are all, especially if we have kids on pins and needles, just praying to God the Wake County Schools does not close down. (laughs) Chaos just doesn't seem to quit, and it is very difficult to acclimate to chaos. And when chaos keeps going on and on and on and on, the human temptation, it's actually a brain trick, it's called learned helplessness. It's a psychological term for saying, we just quit trying. At some point, we quit trying to bring order out of chaos. And if our efforts to wrestle that order out keep not working, keep not yielding, well, we might as well just sit on the couch and play some more Minecraft. It's just easier to stop trying. And it turns out that the spiritual tradition has some wisdom for us. We may not like the wisdom, but here it is. Embrace the chaos. (laughs) Since it's not going away anyway, embrace the chaos the chaos. Don't, the spiritual wisdom encourages us, don't be tempted to learn helplessness. Don't surrender to the disorientation and the discouragement, but rather embrace it. Embrace the chaos. Now, when the ancient wisdom tells us, keep the faith, when the ancient wisdom tells us, fight the good fight and keep on fighting it, When the wisdom tells us, don't grow weary in doing well, it's because the wisdom understands something. Those who've gone before us understand something. That that is that if we look, there is always something good to be found. And often that good that can be found changes the balance of the equation. There is a silver lining in all of those ugly storm clouds. There's always some wheat in the chaff. There's always some gold in the dross. And it's there, and so the tradition tells us, go find it. Because if you find it, it changes the dynamic of the moment. So embrace the chaos. It's not going to stop if you don't embrace it, but if you do, you might find that good thing. So today, two stories. Gold in the dross, uh, wheat in the chaff. Have you noticed that everywhere you go, They are trying to hire somebody. (coughs) We are trying to hire somebody right now. (laughs) 
Katie moved to San Francisco, and we're looking for a college kid to be steady and consistent with our preschoolers and our nursery. And by the way, if you know somebody, please help us out. You've got to love kids, but my grandson is in that class. How could they not love kids? I think we're paying $15 an hour. If pressed, we could probably go more, but we're looking for someone steady in our preschool. If you know that, talk to Julie, talk to Shelby. Not the point. Why aren't people going back to work? Well, the Republicans have a story about why they're not going to back to work, and that is that we have structured the way that we have paid out our unemployment benefits in a way that removes the incentive to go back to work. You've probably heard that. The Democrats, Democrats also have a story about why people aren't going back to work, and that is without a living wage, 40 hours will not buy basic housing and food and transportation. So they both say people are not going back to work. And I'm sure both of those factor in to the issue. Uh, I don't think they're equivalent. I mean, I think we really have to ask ourselves as a society, who are we when we send a person to work full time and that work will not give them what they need to live? So those are going on, and yes, that's a thing. As well as the fear of getting sick. People are not going back because they don't want to get sick. So, But there's another thing that I keep reading about that's going on behind all of that. A lot of people who are not going back to work are not getting unemployment. And they are not working for minimum wage. As a matter of fact, some of the people who are not going back to work are making 60 and 70 and $100,000 uh, a year. And even so, they are not going back to work. Even so, they are foregoing that salary and they're making another plan to figure out how to make the world work without it. So, what's going on? now? I'm sure that they're making plans, but I, I don't know what their plans are. I'm, you know, I've read a lot of things going on, people changing their housing arrangements, people going without some things. I don't know what they're doing, but I have read a lot about what they're thinking. I don't want to live the way I was living. I don't want to live the way I was living. Whatever sacrifices I have to make, I don't want to live the way I was living. So Tim Cook, Apple guy. He comes and makes a big announcement before Delta. Okay, folks, it's time to come back to work. Come back in the building. And a bunch of tech people decide that they are going to storm the castle. <laughs> Hell no, we are not going to do that. All of the cool tech industry incentives with the Nerf guns and the ping pong tables and the free food and the fancy cafeterias and all that hip coolness, as well as that very fine salary, uh, it is not worth the pace of living that is required to be in the building. So I will stay home, thank you very much. In fact, I will move out of town to get away from all the noise and to get away from all the costs and all, get away from all the tra traffic. So thank you, Tim. No. Instead, I'm going to have lunch at my kitchen table with someone that I love. And I'm going to put a load of laundry in while I wait for a Zoom to chart. And I'm going to make my life work in a way that my life hasn't been working in a long, long time. Now, some people are able to make that change. They have the margin in their lives. They have the cushion in their lives to be able to sacrifice something and still make it. Even make big sacrifices, but still make it. But at the core, what's going on, besides all those other things that incentivize work, what's going on is a quest for a pace of life that is sane after a long, long time of a pace of life that has been insane. The coronavirus has forced us to rethink 
our pace of life, to rethink the stories that we tell ourselves that have driven the pace of life that we have lived. Because we do tell stories uh, to ourselves about what it means to be a good person, about what constitutes a good life, about what we should do, what we have to do, what we ought to do in order to have made it or be good or some such thing. And those stories have been running for a long, long time. And while they have been, they have been driving an untenable, unsustainable pace of life. Now I know some of you, but mostly those of you out there watching online are not coming back into the church building, not because of the virus, but because you're grappling with this pace of life dynamic. Having seen a little bit of sanity, having seen a little bit of pace of life, we are very, very cautious to re-engage with anything. Re-engage with getting in the car and driving to church even. I was speaking to a woman in our community. Her husband loves our community. She loves the people. She loves what we are doing. She loves, the, he loves what we stand for. But he also loves putting in the earbuds on Sunday morning and going out in the garden and putting his hands in the dirt and pulling weeds and tending the earth and listening while he works outside. What he also loves, besides our community, is a sane pace of life. So a lot of the work that we are doing right now, rethinking the structures that constitute church, are responding to not wanting to compete with that. I do not want to be part of a religious institution that competes with that. Because the whole point of religion is health and well-being. And that includes time in the garden. That includes slowing the pace, and it includes resting and relaxing and going for a walk and eating a slow meal and sitting on the porch with someone we love. So whatever a healthy religious institution looks like in the future, it cannot compete with that. So, thank you, coronavirus. Because I gotta tell you, preachers rethinking that kind of thing, <laughs> that takes a little bit of push to do that. So thank you, coronavirus, for the chaos. Thank you for forcing us to rethink the pace of our lives, forcing our companies who want employees, by the way, to rethink how we organize the work week, forcing governments who want citizens to not be in poverty, by the way, to rethink what 40 hours should buy, forcing religious institutions who want health and well-being for our people to rethink how participation in the institution could actually work against the very well-being that we want. Thank you, coronavirus. Because here's what could have happened. We could have easily kept on going for another 20 years before these systems broke down. And if we had, we would have hurt ourselves a whole lot more over that time along the way. Systems that don't work for human well-being will eventually collapse under their own weight. But it can take a long time. And it can do a lot of damage in the meantime before we figure it out. So thank you for forcing us to rethink how we live and to do it now. How we live and how we work and how we connect and how we organize our lives. And you and I, let's make sure that we allow the coronavirus to give us the gift that it has to give. 
Let us make sure that we are discerning of our days, bringing assessment, bringing good judgment to how we are living, paying attention and assessing what we do and digging into the stories that we tell ourselves that drive what we do. And wouldn't you know it, some fine preacher just posted a self-awareness meditation on just that. <laughs> you might want to participate. And you might want to get on the chat group so you can talk about it with each other because I bet other people have good ideas as well. Because you know, thank you, coronavirus. Now before I tell the second story, here are some terms that you might want to Google. First one is, rest is resistance. Or the nap ministry, or the gospel of rest. One website that you will run into has this tagline, how will you be useless to capitalism today? <laughs> and it shows a picture of a person lying down taking a nap. <laughs> the basic premise of this movement is that for years we thought the economic engine that drives our economy was an unqualified good, and now we are seeing it's qualified. It needs some adjustments. It drives way too much inequity, and it drives way too much non-rest. How will you be useless to this economic engine today? Now, without the coronavirus, we would not have been thinking these thoughts. We might have gone for years before we started a nap ministry, before we started asking these hard questions. So, thank you, coronavirus. Okay, a second chaos story. Thank you, chaos. Thank you, virus. Because we are moving, I've been having a lot of conversations with other ministers. By the way, early this morning, Dr. Mike was here. I was in here just getting ready, and he swung by, and he said, I want you to understand, because he knows that right now the water is, and I'm feeling a little stressed. He said, I want you to know there is no pressure on timing for the move. I want you to understand nobody's breathing down my neck, and so we are certainly not breathing down your neck. Yeah, we've got to do this because we've got to sell the building. All that stuff has to happen, but you've got time. Be at peace. I love this man. <laughs> He's a good dad. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, again, I'm hoping we can move by uh, New Year, maybe Easter, but even if we don't, okay, that's not the point. The point, is, here's the point. For a long time, I've been trying to call a lot of ministers just for the purpose of getting to know them. Uh, but I have not had a lot of luck. It might be because we're heretics. <laughs> it might be because, I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, I can't seem to get ministers to return my calls. But it turns out when you're moving, people return your call. I don't know why. So that's great, right? It's been relatively easy to get a meeting with other ministers. So thank you, chaos. Thank you, coronavirus. And as I've been making these phone calls, oh, some of those conversations have been painful because I am running, to, running into good, good people in the midst of very, very painful moments. We as a culture, we as a religion, are in the throes of deep historical change. And then you take all of that historical change and you add a pandemic on top of it, and people are losing everything that they held dear, everything they had ever known. Here's what the coronavirus has done for us as a religion. It has accelerated the dying gasps of a dying way of being our religion. Now, that's not true for all churches in Wake County, but it's certainly true of a lot of them. 
PCUSA, the Presbyterians, just posted a, uh, a study of their churches, and they basically said to all of their churches, if you have fewer than 100 people today, you will not be here in five years. And people are losing what has been a centerpiece of their lives for a long, long time. And if that's your church, and if that's your religion, it feels anything but thank you. It just hurts. Religion institutions are supposed to be conservative. They are supposed to conserve. Because what they do is they hold on to the wisdom of the past. They hold on the, to the practices of the past. And they transmit what they've held on to that has worked to the next generation. And they conserve, hold on, and transmit. But they're also supposed to be discerning. Because in some rare historical moments, like the one we are living in right now, you can't be conserving. You have to be fundamentally upending and changing. Every once in a while, you need to have a reformation. We have to change. And if we don't figure that out, and if we keep fighting against it, if we don't do the discerning part, things start going really badly. And when we don't pivot, when the t history is calling us to pivot, we die a terrible, long, drawn-out death. But here's the thing. When we're in that change, we hardly ever see that that's what the historical moment calls for. It's very difficult to see that a reformation is being called for. All we see is the pain. And when all we feel is the hurt, then we tend to get afraid. And when we tend to get afraid, we tend to get a little brittle. And then we start to behave badly. And that cycle can go on and on and on for decades. Or it can get really painful really fast. And like stripping a Band-Aid off, it can be done with. Churches just doing what they're supposed to do, conserving, holding on to the wisdom of the past and transmitting it, are dying because they're doing that very thing. And if it had not been for the virus, we might have kept doing that very painful process for a long, long time. We might have kept not seeing that we're in a Reformation moment. We might have kept not seeing that we have grown very ill and that we are in need of deep transformation. But thank you, coronavirus. We cannot keep turning a blind eye because we are now facing one of two options. We are either going to awaken to the moment and see that we are in one of those Reformation's moment or we're not going to be able to pay the rent next month. We, because fewer and fewer people can connect to the divine using the narrative that we are conserving and holding on to, and the thing that we are trying to transmit is relevant to fewer and fewer people, so that means fewer and fewer people are left to share the costs of the rent, and more and more of them are dying each day that passes, and so congregations, congregations could be scrambling for decades, a long, long time, or a short time, but now because of the virus, we're not meeting payroll. And so people, churches can't afford ministers. Not paying rent or not being able to cover maintenance costs. So no more buildings. So nowhere to gather and nobody to do the gathering. And all the while fighting it tooth and nail all the way. 
overcome by loss and overcome by grief, that could last for a generation. That could last for two generations, that painful state of affairs, or a virus comes along and forces the issue. We have to throw a reformation. We must do some core fundamental rethinking. We must reckon with this historical moment. We must do the change required of this time. So, think Nicodemus meeting with Jesus. By the way, that's a Bible reference. So he comes to Jesus and says, I kind of know what we're doing hasn't been working. But how in the world are we going to not do what we inherited is the thing that we must do? I cannot see, Nicodemus says, how we would get from here to there. I cannot lead this congregation, this community, this religion, and get from a place that we have done it this way to not doing this way. So Jesus, what are you doing and why are you doing it? How does this even work? So good for Nicodemus, holding on to conserving the wisdom of the past. That's what he's supposed to do as a religious leader. And good for Nicodemus, questioning that very thing. Saying to himself, wow, this historical moment needs something different. An adaptation is necessary. Being forced by history to rethink, and this Jesus guy seems to know something. Let me go find out. So thank you, chaos. Thank you, coronavirus. Thank you for hurrying on the inevitable. Thank you for forcing us to rethink and to reconsider and to change our deeply ingrained instincts because we might have gone decades before we faced these hard truths and they would have been painful decades. Two stories. They're big stories. They're social trend stories. They're about what's going on in a society, in a religion. But here's the wisdom of the spiritual tradition. It's not just for those big things. It's also for you and for me. The big ideas happen in your house and in my house as well. Your weekly schedule and my weekly schedule. The things that we do out of habit the things that we hold on to because we've always done it this way, the stories that we tell ourselves because we've always told these stories, the stories that tell us what we should do, what we ought to do, what we're supposed to do, what good people should do, why we live the way that we've been living, stories that in this moment the virus is inviting us to dismantle. The virus is inviting us to break down and to rethink and to begin to rebuild. So that's the question for today. How about you? What are you doing that you should not be doing? What are you holding on to that you should let go? What are you not doing that you should be picking up? That if you did let it go, or if you did pick it up, would be good for you and for your life, for the people you love. And... What are the stories that are unconsciously driving you because we do the things that we do because we've got these narratives deeply ingrained inside of us? Because you can change the behavior if you want to, but if you don't change the story, you're going to be back to the behavior before long. So what are the stories and what are the behaviors that this moment is inviting you to rethink? Here's a good thing to consider. Rest. The meditation that, we're doing, that we did this morning. What, 
What is it about your story about rest that is holding you back? Or maybe considering how you spend your time. Or your leisure. Or your work. Or your relationships. Or your spending. Or too much time alone. Or not enough time alone. Or too much quiet. Or not enough quiet. What is the virus inviting you to rethink? What rethinking process will be the focus of your examination? That's what we're going to be focusing on collectively on our Monday meditation, Sunday meditations now. What are you going to be rethinking, reconsidering over these next few weeks? So indwelling divine lives of wholeness and lives of wisdom and lives of well-being. May that be so. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings. And as you do, please remember what I say all the time. Uh, Investment in spiritual community has a profound return on investment. When we give of our time and give of our energy and give of our love and give of the dollars that it takes to be a healthy community, here's what we do with all those things that we have given. We receive them from one another, and then we turn around and we give them back. So what happens is a compounding effect as we give back to one another in the context of spiritual community. So when we invest in spiritual community, we create the context that then returns health and well-being and transformation to our own lives. So we all give online now. If you would go to our website, go to the donate button, that'd be great. And in a moment, we're going to dismiss you all on the live stream. We're going to do what are you thinking here in the room. Now, remember, before long, you'll be able to do that as well at home. And, uh, but that's if. If some of you go to find my picture and click on it and say, yes, I will help you, Doug. If you do that, we'll be starting a Zoom process very soon. So those in the room, you know the first question. I told you a minute ago, this pandemic has changed our lives. So we're going to form uh, groups. We're going to talk about how uh, those changes have affected us, the changes we want to keep, and the ones that we want to get rid of. So if you would, please put your hand on your heart. So as we dismiss the folks on the live stream, and remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness are within us because the breath of the divine is in us. And so if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you. You all are dismissed. Um, See you next week. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd